You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Let's go to the island. I would like to see the polar bears. There was a crash, and there are others, and there are numbers, and it all means something supposedly, but even though there are times we We had to go back. Did we? I think we did. <laughs> Debatable. Welcome back to No Love Lost, the podcast where we dissect every episode of Lost from the beginning. <laughs> For better or worse. Uh, I am Will Link, and with me as always... Megan Salinas, hey guys. And we are talking season one, episode Fifteen, Homecoming. Not like not to be confused with Spider-Man: Homecoming, which is delightful. I th- well, I was about to say this episode is delightful. This isn't a delightful episode. This, this it's was, a good episode. This is it's a solid a, episode. Yeah. But just but just <laughs> use the word delight in any aspect is sort of an exaggeration. Now you know this is going to be a big episode, right from the opening credits, because it is written by Damon Lindelof. And whenever you see Lindelof as the writer, it's like, oh, this is going to have some important stuff in it. Uh, And it is directed by Kevin Hooks. So. So, yeah, definitely some, uh, some, I'm going to have to keep an eye out for Kevin Hooks' name from now on. Like, I don't know if he comes back at all as a director. Well, I, I, I believe he does more episodes of Lost, but he's definitely, he's a journeyman television director. He's, you see his name pop up. On a lot of programs. Oh, yeah. And and for, for people who might not be aware, you know, directors for television, it's very different than directing, you know, films. You know, directors for television very much come and go, and the director very much has to adapt to the style, to the pre-established style yeah. of the show. So, um, so yeah, it, it's a very, very different. Obviously, each director can try to put their own spin on things. Um, especially when thematically an episode is going for something in particular or, you know, an episode wants to be, like, more of a horror movie or more of a rom-com. But, yeah, for the most part, a director coming in, it very much has to acquiesce to what else is going on in the show. Um, And knowing that this is a Lindenloft... Linderloff? How do you say his name? Damon Lindelof. Lindelof? Lindelof. Lindelof. Okay. <laughs> Knowing that this is a Lindelof episode. Lindelof. <laughs> Am what I, I like saying is, that wrong? Okay, it right sounds be- wrong coming out of my mouth. Right before the episode off air, <laughs> Megan was maybe laughing a bit much at my, <laughs> my trying to pronounce some Japanese words. In my defense, Will, would you like to, to provide a demonstration? Arigato. <laughs> But, so I like that now, though, on air, I get to correct Please your pronunciation do. of Damon Lindelof. I, I don't know what I'm trying to say when I say his last name. Um, but no, I mean, like I said, this is a solid episode. I always have mixed feelings whenever we're dealing with the others. Um, especially on an episode where, for the like, for the most part... It go the episode itself goes out of its way to withhold information and to keep 
the mystery a mystery. And this is where we start yeah. to real. I mean, we've, you know, Rousseau's mentioned others. We've seen Ethan before already kidnapping Claire. But this is where we're starting to really get into the others are this terrifying threat. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we, we knew that the first time Ethan was revealed to be a member of the others and that, you know, just how thoroughly he physically bested everyone around him and how the, the grotesque way he left Charlie for dead. Can we we talk about Ethan just real fast before we get into the episode? Can we talk about his like stupid strength? (laughs) Like he's, he's strong. Like he picks up Charlie in this episode, like, ah, and holding on. He's, strong to the point where I wonder at this point in the series if they had decided with the others were going to have like super strength or something. I kind of was wondering that myself. I'm like, now, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't really remember any of the others like having proficiency in like combat trainings. I I know that they're like later on mercenaries come (laughs) to the island, but I, like, I don't remember seeing anybody in the others encampments just, like, regularly practicing jujitsu well, the or, or, or hitting the gym all the time. Yeah, but they're pretty fit. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, they're, they're fighters. I mean, they could take a beating. We know that later from Ben. Jeez. Everybody beats the shit out of Ben when, <laughs> when he Not in. hard enough. Yeah. Um, but I... I can I just say that even though when he first steps onto the scene again, it is very intimidating and affecting, all I could think about the moment he became visible again was your friend in a diner screaming at the actor. Yeah. <laughs> That's like all I could think about. If you've just seen this run of episodes and then that guy walks in while you're trying to enjoy your pastrami sandwich at Izzy's Deli, <laughs> guess what? You're going to scream and hide under the table, too. <laughs> As he's striding forward, too, I can, like, Im- in my mind, I'm imagining you at a deli <laughs> and your friend just screaming bloody murder. And look, I assume William Maypother, Tom Cruise's cousin, is a nice guy. Tom Cruise seems like a nice guy. Mm, that one, I think, is debatable. Yeah, he's, got a, he's got a religious issue, but I think he's, he seems like a, like, I think if we saw Tom Cruise out at the bar... We'd like him. He definitely seems like somebody, if you if you went drinking with him, you'd have a story afterwards. <laughs> um, then you're hanging from a helicopter <laughs> later. Uh, but, uh, let's get into the actual episode. Uh, yeah, and for whatever reason, if this is your first episode of BTW, everybody, we're gonna spoil the whole series for you. So, fair warning. Um, usually I like to start with the flashbacks, but I feel like this flashback is a little... It's a little different in, in, in the way it connects to the main story that it kind of its points only come, it, really work with the, with talking did, about the main story. It did feel a little off. It didn't feel as 
pointless as the, um, you know, Kate's backstory where she was robbing the bank. That felt very... Still super- a little <laughs> It felt very superfluous. Um, but this one, it didn't feel as superfluous, but it didn't feel as contextually relevant it, as a lot of other flashbacks. It's a backstory that when it started, I realized I had forgotten all of it. And me it, too. It, but it, it came back to me as it as it went along, but I'm like, oh, this is, it's kind of slight. So I, I want to start on the island this week instead. Totally fine. Um... Claire is back. She's brought back when the episode ended last week. We saw Locke and, and Boone had her. Uh, they bring her into the cave. And they do the responsible thing and immediately call the doctor. <laughs> yes. And Jack comes over and he makes everyone back off. Everyone except for Charlie. He lets Charlie hang around because, yeah. you know, they've got a thing. They're buddies. They're buddies. And... They're peanut butter buddies. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true. Claire comes too. And starts freaking out. And this is something else I had forgotten. That she does not remember anyone or anything. The last thing she remembers was being on On the plane. plane. She's Mm -hmm. lost a month. I didn't remember this plot line. And the second it started, I said, I must not remember this plot line. Because by the end of the episode, I bet you she has her memory back. And she doesn't. But... She remembers the important thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I, it's if you had asked me going into the series or rewatching the series, like, is there a time where Claire loses her memory? I'd be like, no, I don't think that happened. I would have been like, you mean when she was all crazy and asking about her squirrel baby? But, <laughs> but I'll be honest, I completely forgot about this too until. She woke up, and I was like, wait a minute, I feel like this isn't right. And then she screams and then goes, who are you people? And I was like, oh, yeah, because it, we can't have information about the others this early on. And I remembered, and I got annoyed. Because she can't remember what happened. Now, I do want to ask you, again, as, as we're revisiting the series, like, I, there is a part of me that takes a step back, like... There's definitely the part of me that's really annoyed and, like, rolls my eyes and, like, of course she doesn't remember, like, because, again, we can't know anything about the others just yet. And that's what I mean about the the episode going out of its way to withhold information. But there is a part of me that takes a step back and goes, no, I could definitely, you know, she's gone through trauma. I could definitely, and, you know, she she did escape, and we don't know how or why yet. But um, I could definitely see somebody going through a traumatic experience like that repressing those memories. I could be like, yeah. okay, that's something I could buy. But I, I wanted to know whether Will, whether, you know, since you had forgotten that this was a plot point at all, whether upon revisiting it, it felt more contrived to you or if you're still willing to roll with it. Amnesia always feels a little contrived to me. Uh, I remember... To bring up another show, the show 24, the first <laughs> season of the show 24, which I think is a brilliant season of television, except there's this long plot point where Jack Bauer's wife just loses her memory <laughs> just for an afternoon. <laughs> and is she blackout drunk? It's, no, no, no. She went through something traumatic. Um, but in retrospect, I should have remembered this because of the exact reason you said they had to withhold stuff about the others. And in retrospect, I now remember when Claire starts to get the memories of her being helped by mm-hmm. one of the others. 
and being let free. Mm-hmm. And I remember when those memories start coming back and we see who that person is. And, and spoiler alert, but Megan already warned you, <laughs> it's uh, Ben's daughter who let her free. Uh, Rousseau's daughter. Well, actually, Will. <laughs> no, okay, yeah, Her you're right. child, Alex. Yes, yeah, it's Rousseau's daughter. It's Ben's ad- adopted, adopted and or stolen daughter. <laughs> Yoink! <laughs> My kid now. Uh, that's a that's a story for a different day. Yeah, uh, and a different season. I kind of have to agree with you whenever it comes to amnesia. There, there's it, it just in. In terms of the amnesia trope, there are sometimes I'm willing to roll with it, um, but there are other times where I'm like, "Boo, I'm over it." I do just one of my favorite um, series though, where it's a, a protagonist with amnesia is an anime called Eden of the East, though. But that's because like this person, he he gets amnesia, but he's not angsty about it. He's a big film nerd, and so he like remembers a bunch of like film references. But, like, he's like, huh, I really don't remember anything. But he doesn't let that, like, bog him down. He's like, oh, well, I'll figure it out. Which is so atypical of, like, the amnesia trope. Because nor I do love my angsty amnesiacs. Don't get me wrong. You know what? I, I did like how just atypical that was. It, Sorry, that's a total segue. It would be kind of liberating <laughs> in a weird way to be like, I don't know what's going on. Nothing <laughs> I could do about it. I'm going to watch these movies. <laughs> um, uh, like, he remembers a bunch of stuff from a bunch of old movies, but yeah, his own life he can't remember. That's what would happen with me. <laughs> um, well, Claire has to be reminded of some stuff, and she comes to this realization, because Charlie fills her in, that they're friends. We're friends. No. Um... And, you know, now we also see the setup of the whole journal stuff, because now he's got the journal to give her that will help her refresh her memory. Help her fill in the gaps. This is why we should all keep journals, just in case we lose our memory. We could go back and be like, oh, okay. We should all memento ourselves. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'm just going to put tattoos all over me. Never forget. Yeah. Remember Sammy Jenkins. Um... So, uh, but Saeed, now that this, everyone's talking about Claire, Claire's back. This is a very hyper-focused episode because a lot of episodes kind of have multiple storylines, but even kind of the B moments in this are all focused on Claire. Mm-hmm. And Saeed wonders if Claire maybe was sent to infiltrate them. Like, yeah. he, he's wondering a lot of things because he doesn't buy that the memory loss is real. And he which, pushes Jack on that. And Jack says it's possible, but you could tell even he has his doubts. Which, to be fair, Saeed is an expert in breaking people down. And, I, I, like, I have no doubt that as an interrogator, he's familiar with brainwashing tactics. Yeah. So, like... It makes complete and total sense that he would bring that up as as a possibility. Although it feels like, I mean, it can't, she hasn't been gone that long. Like No, but I mean, again, he's an expert in torture. Yeah, but I mean, I don't buy that, like, she'd suddenly have, like, Stockholm Syndrome <laughs> or something like that, you know. But, yeah, who knows? I'm thinking more like a Clockwork Orange type. Oh, well, she's just been a couple of days. Well, we know there are some weird rooms that the others have where they force people to watch things. Turn clockwork it off, Orange. please! Yeah. <laughs> Um, so everybody's kind of wondering about Claire and, you know, Charlie, you know, sticking up for his, his lady friend. I very much, I mean, 
Like, I get Saeed's concerns, um, and he definitely has a right to be concerned and in terms of just, even if she did escape, just them following her back here. And a right to voice it, too. Yeah, you know, exactly. We should, we should put all the cards on the table. Yeah, for sure. But, like, you know, Charlie's absolutely right. She's innocent in all this. She didn't do anything. She didn't ask for this. Yeah, they're being they're very suspectful of the victim. Yeah, a lot of victim-blaming Saeed. <laughs> <laughs> Check your privilege. <laughs> I say to the person who gets was, detained at the I, airport. I was oh. going to say, check your privilege. The only brown person on this island full of all these white Americans he's, and Australians. He's the only brown man. Um, and there's one other black man on the island. There's one Asian couple. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, we determined that all the other extras are white. <laughs> yeah, the extras are pretty white. Um, Where's Rose? We haven't seen her in a while. We haven't seen her in I a while. I miss her. <laughs> uh, Come back, Rose. We miss I wonder her. if Steve slash Scott was white. <laughs> um, but we'll get to him in a second. We'll never know! <laughs> because who was he, man? <laughs> um, so Charlie decides he's going to march back to the caves where Claire is, and he's walking, he's walking with Jen, safety in numbers. And this nice little another moment Aww. of talkative Charlie following around somebody and also somebody talking to Jen and Jen doesn't quite understand. And, and Jen just has to, like, nod politely, like, yeah, I, you know I can't understand you. I know that nothing you say is going to register, but I'm going to smile and nod politely. And Charlie talks of how, like, oh, the ignorance you have of not knowing what's going on. This must really be bliss. It's kind of... Well, I, I do like the insight that we get. You know, Charlie brings up, oh, man, ignorance is bliss. You know, it must be nice for you guys not having to deal with anybody else's problems. Um, and then, you know, very much juxtapositioning that with the I, the the knowledge that, like, no. keep Like, them yeah. being in the dark, or, or more specifically him being in the dark, is not blissful. It, mm. It's isolating them. And, you know, it, and it makes them always... Or, like I said, him. It makes him always the odd man out and somebody who... It makes it very hard for them to be a part of the rest of the group. Now, what's interesting, because the B story, and it's not really a story, it's basically two scenes, is kind of these Jin Sun moments in this episode. And, you know, Jin and Charlie are walking back to the caves and we hear a whirling noise and... And Jin kind of stops, and then he is immediately hitting the chest with these rocks, and it yeah. knocks him out. He's completely incapacitated. Yeah, I don't know if those would have knocked him unconscious, but but it, it takes the, it takes the wind out of him also enough that like he's going to be down for the count. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um. So real quick before we get into what happens after that, since you brought it up, let's just get the Jin Sun stuff out of the way. There, there are two nice moments with with Jin and Sun, and one is early on, and it does show that they're involved, because, okay, Sun knows exactly what's going on, because she can speak and understand exactly. English. But, but he doesn't know that. <laughs> but Jin is expressing genuine concern, not just for Claire, but for the baby. And there's this moment between Aww. him and Sun, where, when they're talking about the baby, and you show that, like, he has kind of uh, tender feelings about the idea of a baby. Yeah, because we... We know because uh, we have, you know, for knowledge of things that uh, yet to come, um, we know that he's a good, 
good man, um, and that he loves her to the moon and back. Yeah. And so, like that, him looking at her and thinking about like, you know, the you can you can read it on his face about like the like the the idea of like man, wouldn't it be wonderful to start a family with this woman? And, and we haven't gotten into the ideas of their. Uh, trying to have a baby and things like that and son's pregnancy issues. We, yeah. we haven't touched on that remotely but yet. But this is, this is a nice setup for that this stuff is, to come. This is really good setup. Excellent acting. Excellent acting. Oh, man. Daniel Day Kim is really great. He continues to be great whenever he pops up. I mean, I, I will always have my complaints about this show, but like the... The more and more we we dig into season one, the more and more I have an appreciation for the subtlety in a lot of these early performances, particularly from these two characters. Like, they say so much with so little emoting. It's incredible. The second time we see them, it's after Jin's been attacked. And Jin basically says, like, you know... Uh, I'm paraphrasing here this because is stupid. I want, yeah, it's, it, uh, the, the paraphrasing is these assholes <laughs> are getting involved in God knows what. It's affecting us, like, like uh, and he doesn't really have a vote in any of this because he doesn't speak no. English and it isn't like he is affected by everything they're doing. And it makes me wonder how much he actually understands. Like when Claire disappeared, like, or were they able to puzzle out? Oh, Ethan kidnapped her. Because, like, you know, uh, you know, obviously Sun knows what's going on, but, like, all of a sudden, one day, Ethan and Claire are gone. Well, like, un- is that, like, something that he and Sun talk about? Until, because right now only two people know Sun can speak English, yeah. Michael and Kate. And until the cat's out of the bag with Sun, both of them are really in the dark about it because neither of them have a voice. Yeah. Sun knows what's going on, but you can't express it. No. Jin has no clue what's going on. He just knows that, like, these people are... De- like, Jin's still out there just, I'm catching fish. I'm just trying to yeah. feed myself and find water and things like that. What Practical th- things. What do you think is worse? His situation where he just genu- genuinely can't communicate with anyone besides his wife or her situation where she can... But she can't. I think the sun one's more frustrating. Yeah. Because I would be she, terrible yeah. at hiding that fact. Yeah. She's a she is a way better poker face than I ever was. It's will. unbelievable. Yeah. It's only once she broke, and it was with Kate. And like was gardening. And like if it had been anybody else, they probably wouldn't have noticed. But Kate, Detective Kate. Detective the, Kate, I'm telling Detective you. Detective <laughs> Kate would notice. I would also argue it's possible Sawyer would have noticed because he's That's a con true. man and reads people. And he Kate herself people. is a bit of a, a con A con artist, artist which is what yeah. makes her an excellent detective. Detective <laughs> Kate on the case. Someone please give me that fan fiction. She will figure out... Uh, <laughs> she will figure out the mysteries of this island. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, so back to, to Charlie... Jin is attacked. Charlie's, huh? And that's when freaking Ethan just appears. And he's <laughs> he angry into and the strong and sweaty. <laughs> and he picks Charlie up. And he basically says, listen. <laughs> bring Claire back. Bring her back. I want her back. If you don't, 
I'm going to kill someone tonight. <laughs> because of reasons. If, if every night you don't bring him back, I'm going to kill somebody. Very mobster of him, right? Yeah. Very, yeah. like, feudal lord. <laughs> and Charlie, rightfully so, yes, goes immediately to everyone and tells him. He doesn't try to pull some little, like, I'm going to keep this to myself or... I'm going to figure out a way to handle this myself, or I'm going to... And not that he would ever bring Claire back, but, but you know, yeah. he, he immediately goes to... The only person they keep this truth from is Claire, um, which I call bullshit on, but I, I understand. But I, I particularly hate the the trope of, like, I'm going to withhold... I, and we talked about this with the um, episode with Michael... Um, I hate the trope of I'm going to lie to someone to protect them because that's yeah. contrived writer bullshit and I hate it. Um, however, like I do, what I do love is that Locke's solution was like, okay, we only tell a couple people that need to be in the know and Jack's solution was no way if anybody gets killed because... You know, because they don't know to look out for danger, that's on us. And it takes Locke a minute, and then he goes, okay, we'll tell everybody. And I, I love that. I yeah. love whenever people call Locke out on making the wrong decision. And I also love the idea of, like, no, we got to tell everybody. It, because to well, me, that's absolutely true. It's that whole idea of... Like if we you, know better, but it, it, I, I do understand where Locke's instinct comes from on in that terms because of not wanting to start a panic. Yeah, obviously. because you you and also you know maybe the group gets together and be like just give them Claire. You know, <laughs> but I I, I don't that think it does remove that bargaining chip if you do let everybody know. Yeah. Or worst case scenario, you let everybody know, and then they get all Lord of the Flies, and they go, "Let's sacrifice Claire." <laughs> That's worst case scenario. So the you know this this threat is made. They decide they're going to let people know. Uh, you know, Jack brings up the idea of we we get everybody together in the caves or whatever we get or the beach or we we get yeah. everybody together in one spot. In Locke, though, this is when the first idea of, we don't know the numbers here. We don't yeah. know if that's, if this is a trap, if they expect us to, if they could wipe us all out in one foul swoop. We that's don't fair. have anything. And it's, and, and you know, it's that's a, another good thing about this. It's a assessment this. about you don't know, you don't know the game you're playing. And it's, well, as we've established, Locke is very good at playing games of strategy like backgammon and chess where, you know, you have to think five steps ahead of the other person. And, and this is a good example of a moment where the, for lack of a better word, the group leaders are working well together. They're yes. discussing it. They're, yes. they're They're coming up with ideas. They're not fighting about it. Like Locke says what he thinks. Jack says what he thinks. And then Locke agrees. You know, it's not like some big like it's not a big dick contest between these yeah. guys and and I, i've said it before and i'll say it again and i'll say it a million more times i find the most interesting aspects of this series are when this group of survivors have to put aside their differences to come together to survive when they have to come together to come up with a solution to a problem 
Now, do I like that the problem is the others? No. <laughs> I will always perennially have a problem with the others and the way that whole storyline was executed. But, again, just, like, seeing all these different types of people and different types of personalities have to put their own egos and, you know, issues aside to come together to solve a problem, that's what I like best about watching this show. Yes. Yeah, and this was one of the best examples that we've had so far. Yeah. Um, except for the fact, you know, Steve slash Scott died. Now, what was his <laughs> actual... Was it, was it Scott? Because I... I, <laughs> I wrote Steve, then I wrote slash Scott, and I don't know... Now, in, I watched the episode a couple days ago. I can't remember I which it was. I think it's Steve. I watched it earlier today, but I, if you put a gun to my head, I could not tell you... With 100% certainty. You got certainty. a 50-50 shot. <laughs> I'm going to go with Steve. <laughs> I'm not concerned uh, about getting this fact right because I feel like the people on the island aren't that concerned now, with Steve oh Scott. Oh my gosh, worst eulogy ever, am I right? <laughs> well, yeah. Let's, let's well, hold that for a well, second so we can get to... I do want to point out, um, I remember being very annoyed with this episode when it first aired. Uh, this is the first episode I remember being annoyed with with Lost. Not because of any fault in the writing, necessarily. Um, any problems I have with that are more from a meta standpoint, you know, all these years later. Um, however, you know what I do remember about this episode? I remember them promoting the heck out of it on ABC of, like, someone's going to die. Oh, and then I, it's... And then it's fucking Steve. Well, I was going to say, no, Steve? it's... it's I, I figure the death is Ethan. <laughs> no. Either way, it's like, it's they, it's they, an inconsequential death, or it's a death that They very much promoted that someone in the Oceanic, you know, survivor group was going to die. And it ended up being goddamn Steve. This is why I don't watch a lot of network television. No, like, that's, <laughs> that's the thing. Is like, I remember being annoyed at this episode because they very but, much promoted it as some, like someone's gonna die. But, and then it ended up being no one. In fairness, it has nothing to do with loss. Like, no, but no, it's <laughs> no, like, no, it's, no. it's uh, you know, networks, the way they choose to advertise a show has nothing to do with the creatives. No, nothing to do with the actual quality of the show, and I will probably get a little bit on my high horse towards the end of our recap talking about this, because recently, um, there's, there, I, I've been looking at a fandom where there's been a huge discrepancy between the actual quality of the show and the way it was marketed. Uh, so I might, I might get on my soapbox towards the end of the show. <laughs> um, because, yeah, that's very much a thing. Marketing teams versus actual creative teams, a lot of times there's not necessarily a ton of discussion. And marketing teams don't really care. They will take whatever they think will sell, and they'll push it like crazy. And I say this as somebody who's regularly in promo discussion meetings yeah uh and a lot of times the people promoting the actual thing don't care about the thing they're just doing their job so like i can't really hold that against anyone but i definitely remember being young 
and being really excited for this episode and being on the edge of my seat and then being like, oh, they they killed nobody? <laughs> like, they killed a guy that no one cared about? I call shenanigans. <laughs> but, uh, but that being said, again, it leads to the worst eulogy on the face of the planet. So... <laughs> All these years later, it's hilarious in hindsight. What they decide to do mm-hmm. is... You know, we'll tell people, but tonight we're going to post centuries. Yeah. And we have these kind of alarms, like these, like, we've rigged these traps to go off kind of alarms. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what happens. And Boone, of course, wants to be a century, and Boone, of course, falls asleep on his watch. Not... Not gonna lie, when he immediately volunteered, I was like, oh shoot, is this the episode when it happens? And Saeed gives him a look of like, like, are you sure? Like, are you sure? Well, this is the same guy that was like, stay away from my sister or I'll fucking kill you. Well, Boone's... Again, he's <laughs> eager to help, and Boone's a fuck-up. He's so bad. Oh. So... But yeah, I love that look that Saeed gives him. Just like oh, the, oh, okay. Although Boone falling asleep, <laughs> it says something about the character, but it it's not why uh, Steve Scott died. No. Uh, you want to know why Steve, <laughs> Steve Scott died? I think I called him Steve. Why did Steve <laughs> die? Why did Steve die? Um... Because Ethan pulled a goddamn Pirates of the Caribbean and came up out of the goddamn ocean. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because these others, they got boats. These others have a fucking submarine. They don't know it, but they got a fucking submarine. I just picture, you know, just say, I just picture Ben in like a Barbosa voice looking over to Ethan going, Lads, take a walk. <laughs> yeah. Ethan that was a walks terrible Barbosa, on the, by the bottom way. of the ocean, right up to murder Steve Scott. <laughs> and I want to know how he picked out Steve Scott. Did he like? Oh, I had my eye on that when I was back at the camp. I would like the backstory of that to where Ethan was. You know, it had infiltrated the group, and like one day Steve Scott like like uh, did something to annoy him. Like he like ate the other half of a coconut that Ethan was Ethan saving. just makes a mental note. He's just like, you just made the list, buddy. <laughs> when <laughs> I start killing list. people. <laughs> You're gonna be the first. And that's the funny thing, too. Like, when Ethan was like, Charlie, I'm gonna kill you less. Like, wasn't that, like, such an Arnold Schwarzenegger thing to do? Like, wait a minute, oh, wait a minute, Ethan, you said you were gonna kill me last. Guess what, Charlie? I lied. Yeah. <laughs> Last action hero. What movie was that? I'm oh, not sure. Oh, uh, but that was such an Arnold Schwarzenegger move. So oh, man. The alarm gets tripped. Boone wakes up. He runs stumbling into the jungle. He falls. Oh, and Vincent Boone. comes on because who set off the alarm? Vincent. And Locke's like, yeah, well, we found the was uh, you know. no one grabs the dog. No one grabs the dog. They they hear a scream and then they all run off to Skeeve's already dead corpse. They leave the dog behind. Oh, and then Vincent just wanders off again. Well, Vincent will be around. Of course he will, but like, 
I mean, you know that there's a kid looking for it. I would, if I wait a second, hold on, hold on a second. I would have gone for the pub. You hear someone screaming who's being murdered by the guy you're trying to to capture, and you're like, "Well, I better hold that, better grab that dog." Okay. Well, no. Here's the here's the thing. I would have grabbed the puppy before the scream actually happened. Because I would have been like, puppy! And I would have immediately gone for it. But I will say, all of these uh, all of these centuries and I are very different people. That's just what I would have done. So, <laughs> worst eulogy of all time. Jesus been better Christ, Hurley, you know. <laughs> Hurley gives the, the, the eulogy. It would have been Steve Scott would have been better without a eulogy. It would have been more respectful. Now here's the thing: I know that they wanted to shelter Claire from the knowledge that Ethan making threats meant that Steve Scott died. Now here's the thing, though: Claire already proved that she's way better at eulogies than anybody else on the island. So, like. If they hadn't sheltered her from that fact, then Steve Scott would have had a way would better have had a eulogy. Real eulogy. <laughs> would have had a real eulogy because she's way better at it than Hugo. No offense, Hugo. We love you. We love you, Hurley. We love you so You're much. You're just not good at eulogizing. You're just not good at eulogizing. Eulogizing skeeves. <laughs> um. So anyway, they're like, "What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do about this?" <laughs> People are going to die every night. We got to do something about it. Meanwhile, Claire realizes everyone's looking at her like, oh, Steve's got died because of you. Steve. Steve's dead because of you. And... No one will ever forgive you for the loss of Steve. And Shannon, because of course Shannon would. Shannon's like, oh, you don't know? What's that? You don't know? Now, maybe, maybe it's just me, but I... I legitimately don't think that Shannon was trying to be mean or manipulative in this moment. Like, I, I, I don't know. know. She sure said it in a mean, manipulative I way. I don't know. Maybe I just wasn't paying enough attention. But, like, I just know that initially she was defending herself with, no, I'm not, like, staring at you. I don't know. Maybe it's just the way that Shannon talks. Maybe it's just the way she looks at people, but it seemed like she was like, it, it, it seemed like, do you think even she though was I like think savoring she's savoring the moment of like, oh, no one's told you. I think she loves having a bit of gossip and having something over people. Oh man, she was That's like, cold. Yeah. I mean, look, Shannon's becoming slowly a more likable character, but she's still the same Shannon at heart. She's still got these things. You know, I'm not going to debate it with you. <laughs> um, so, they're like, what are we going to do? Locke, you got to track this guy down. And he's like, mm, he's got the advantage. Jack's like, oh, I've got a trick up my sleeve. It's a case full of guns. That would have been good to break out earlier, like Claire, oh, uh, yeah. uh, Kate suggested. I, I do want to point out, <laughs> I know we talked about Skew's death already, um, but I do want to point out that who points out how and is able to deduce how it actually happened? Detective Kate. She is the one that goes, he came up out of the water. Yeah, but... Ah, uh, but Detective that, Kate it was a, win. It was alluded to earlier. Locke gives that look to the ocean. Locke knew too. <laughs> 
He's like, he gives that solemn, he gives, he gives a look, solemn look to the ocean. But he doesn't have to say anything to anyone. Kate's there putting two, to, two together. Detective Kate. Well, Kate's, uh, well, Jack has the case of the guns that Kate, you know, mm-hmm. knew about and everything. And he opens it up. And actually, I love this moment where he pulls out the gun and he, he hands it to Locke. He's like, I assume you know how to use this. And it waits just long enough <laughs> because it pans around Jack to Locke. And then you see, oh, he does know how to handle the gun because he's loading it and everything. But it went just long enough that I said to myself, like, oh, we haven't seen Locke handle a gun. Does he know how to handle a gun? It's like, yeah, oh, because, yes, he does. Because unlike Jack... We know he's a pencil pusher. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's where this thing that we know about him, these other details we know about him, start to, to play with us a little Dramatic bit. Dramatic irony, ladies and gentlemen. Dramatic irony and an excellent use of it. Um, so, I, I do love, though, that there's, there's an initial debate about whether or not to use the guns because in Jack's initial hesitation is... I don't want to put we guns in the hands of un- uh, untrained people. But Locke knows how to use one. They give one Saeed's soldier. Is it? We have no knowledge that Jack knows how to use yeah. a gun. But, I mean, we know Jack's not going to go running around shooting people. He's too and busy then, being the protagonist to not know how to shoot. And then who's the other person they know knows how to use a gun? Sawyer. Mm. So they go to Sawyer. They let him in on the thing. But Kate wants in also. They've already given Sawyer a gun. This is where I absolutely fall on, like, Team Sawyer versus Team Jack. Well, he's very progressive. Well, here's the thing, is Jack is very condescending. I will say both Jack and Locke are... I, I understand the mentality behind it, but they're like, we need four men to be centric. Yeah. We need to give men the guns. And I'm sitting here going, like, Kate's... Kate's a murderer. Like yeah. <laughs> Kate, Kate is one of the most capable people on this island. Like, and everybody here knows it. Uh, and granted, it, Jack's hesitation might be a little bit more because she's he's a, a little criminal. protective of her. Also, it, it's probably a combination of she's a criminal, which makes her an unknown element. But also, there's this protective aspect of him because she is somebody he's attracted to. I will say, though, that I'm like, she's proved time and time again that she's one of the most capable people on this island. And you're like, no, Kay, we're not going to give you a gun. Well, the excuse at that point is, why are the guns? But guess who's got an extra gun? And th- well, that's what I'm saying. It's like, before they give Sawyer the gun, they're like, they could totally pick Kate. But Jack is like, no. We'll give Sawyer. We'll give. I give. The I, guy I trust, who we. The guy who we tortured. Yeah, I and trust beat. the monster. In, in from his perspective, we know he's not a monster. But I'll trust the guy that we tortured and beat, and who's very much a con man and a misogynist and, and exploitive. All these other things that we know. Basically, we're gonna trust the garbage man before we'll trust Kate. Uh, and Kate, Which I'm like, Jack, Jack, not cool. And, not cool, Jack. And Kate's like, I want in. And they're like, sorry, oh, the gun's gone. It's and so then Sawyer, weird. Sawyer's like, I got this extra gun. <laughs> Come here along, you, Freckles. Here you go. And so Kate's in. Nothing they can do about it because Sawyer 
Sawyer will back up. Well, I mean, Sawyer will do... The, one, I actually... I, I don't think this is, like, a showing up Jack thing. Uh, I, I think it's... I, I think that might be part of it, but... Also, Kate... Uh, Sawyer knows Kate is so capable. They get each other. Yeah. And that's the thing, is that as much as I appreciate the Jack and Kate dynamic, Sawyer and Kate make so much more sense. If... Because Sawyer he and respects her on a level that Jack does not. Jack if, puts her on a pedestal. Sawyer treats her like an equal. If Sawyer and Kate had gotten off the island together, their relationship would have worked. Yeah. Yeah, would have. And Juliet and Jack would have been way better together. Juliet and Sawyer are pretty good together. Whatever. Anyway. That's an opinion, Will. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I think, personally, I think Juliet and Jack... This is a total aside. I'm sorry. I know we got to get going with the rest of the episode. But I, as much as I dislike Juliet as a character, I think she and Jack make way more sense together. And Sawyer and Kate make way more sense together. Even though the more and more we discuss these early episodes, I'm still on board with that Saeed-Kate ship. We will get to Sawyer and Juliet in season five, literally years from now. <laughs> Don't you sink my ships, Will? <laughs> um... So basically, the plan is this: Claire now very upset mm -hmm. about that, and 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 she's not going to be anybody's victim. She's like, I will be the bait. This guy wants to come get me. Get me. You guys all come out. You got. This is what you get for not telling her stuff, guys. Yeah. You're gonna have five guns on, on them. Should be a piece of cake. I'll be fine. We'll get this. This is the plan. Charlie wants in. They don't want Charlie in. And I think rightfully so. Because <laughs> one, Charlie is too emotional. He's way too emotional. And also Charlie, you know, he's not... With all due respect. I mean, he's not... Even you're He's not one of the tough guys. And in those tough guys, I include Kate. You know what I mean? Like, he's, <laughs> he's not one of the... He's not somebody who... He's not necessarily He's not a, a fighter. fighter. Yes. Yeah. Um... Even if you remove Claire from the equation, the fact of the matter is, is that Ethan almost murdered Charlie. He came this close. And for you podcast listeners, I'm, I'm indicating a very small amount with my fingers. <laughs> he came this close to murdering Charlie. Like, who's to say that Charlie isn't going to take revenge just for his own life? Then you add Claire back to that equation and I was like of course Charlie is an unstable variable in this equation for for everybody who's being so strategic and so calculating in this whole proceeding adding Charlie is a terrible idea any way you slice it yeah it's never gonna work no having him there as we see because they mm -hmm. want to capture Ethan Love. and find and, out what he knows and justifiably yeah they want they want to see if they can get this guy to talk. So, you know, it's raining again. Ethan's fight's best in the rain. And it's <laughs> raining again. He's like, ah, yes, my element. <laughs> it's almost as if Ethan brings the rain. <laughs> Make it rain, Ethan. <laughs> and he comes, and then Jack comes out and starts fighting him. And, of course, immediately loses his gun. Because Jack is probably the only one in this group who doesn't have uh, firearms training. <laughs> Anyway, they get into this fight. 
what the hell is everybody else doing at this point, by the way? Because they fight for a long time. And I think at a certain point, they're like, oh, Jack's got him. <laughs> like, uh, Jack's fighting him. Very- by the way, I-, I don't know how superhuman strength Ethan is losing to Jack in this moment. <laughs> you know what everybody else is doing? They're doing that thing that, like, a lot of television shows, particularly, like, shonen anime, <laughs> to, where it... Oh, it's the it's the Serenity Firefly thing. Like, do you remember that that episode in Serenity... Or Firefly, sorry. Mixing up the names of the, the yeah. show versus the movie. But, like, do you remember that, that scene where they're like, no, no, he's got to do this for himself. And he's screaming, no, I don't! Someone please help me! Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> It also reminds me of, and this is way off track, and then we got to get back on track, but, uh, you know, one of my favorite action movies or series is the Lethal Weapon movies. For sure. First Lethal Weapon. So, the end of the first Lethal Weapon, they've got Gary Busey, they've <laughs> captured him, he's under arrest, and then out of nowhere, Riggs goes, <laughs> want to shot the title, and Murtaugh lets Busey go. <laughs> And they fight. They fight in Murtaugh's front yard. And all the other cops show up like, we gotta arrest this guy. And they're like, no, let Riggs fight him. That's a terrible... You're all terrible cops! Yeah. You're all bad at your jobs! They're all just... And there's no reason this fight should be taking place. I totally see Saeed, like, holding back Charlie, going, no, he's got to do this for himself. And as Jack is just getting wailed (laughs) on. Well, Jack eventually gets the better of Ethan in this fight. It's a rematch. And then they've got guns on him. Sawyer seems to have the itchiest trigger finger right in his face. And and part of that, I think, is that obviously Sawyer has a lot to prove. uh, But also, like... We've also proved that Sawyer has a big heart, and he's got a little bit of a soft spot for Claire. Sawyer's not going to let any of these people, his fellow survivors, die. Exactly. Uh, Even the ones he doesn't like. You know, he's... uh, But... He's abrasive and he likes to push people away, but when push comes to soft... He's a big softy They got the gun on Ethan. They're going to interrogate him, and then... Who shot him? But there's Charlie with that gun that idiot Jack dropped. <laughs> and he killed him. And later, and then the scene kind of just ends, and then Jack's talking to Charlie. And he's like, you know. Charlie, why? Why'd you, why'd you kill But Charlie is correct in two things that he says. One, I understand the idea of he couldn't take a chance that this guy would ever get a Claire again. And and thinking that he might have super strength, like legit superhuman strength, that's fair. You even if you find a pair of handcuffs, we don't know yet whether or not the others are superhumans. And, and the other fair point that Charlie makes is when he says, "Do you think he would have talked?" Because there is no way that guy would have ever talked. That guy would have. You just know because. Much like, you know, we make jokes about, like, the Church of Locke and the zealotry behind Locke. There's so much zealotry with the others. Exactly. It's even more so. The Church of Ben is a devoted one. Even though... Jacob. Even though... Let's be honest, though. It's the Church of Ben. It's not the Church of Jacob. That's not what Jacob stands for, probably. Who knows? It's kind of wishy-washy what Jacob stands for. Jacob. (laughs) We'll get to Jacob's motives. (laughs) Season five. (laughs) 
years from now. So yeah, it's the Church of Ben for now. <laughs> but, 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 but this is something effective, and I don't think this is us projecting what we know about the others. You can tell whatever is behind Ethan. He is a zealot. He is hard. He is not. He is He's not, not the gonna person. break. Yeah, exactly. He is never gonna break. And Charlie can read that, and deep down, Jack knows that too. When Charlie says it to him. Here's the thing, though. Saeed might have been able to break him. <laughs> uh, it, I'm not. I'm not necessarily going to debate that, or necessarily say that. It's Saeed a good would thing. have. Sa- I think Saeed would have killed him trying. Saeed I, would have definitely given it the old college try, though. <laughs> um. Now, before we get to the last scene, I want to talk about the flashback. Okay. Because really, the flashback exists just for this final moment. Yeah. So To justify Charlie's actions, essentially. And again, the flashback is fairly simple and straightforward. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's really just a character thing. Yeah. Unlike sometimes, like, the Claire one had character and plot. This one really is character. Yeah. Uh, Charlie... You know, this is clearly what's happening. In the last Charlie flashback, we saw when he first started doing drugs, and then we saw his brother was clean, and Charlie was fucked up and went to go see him. This is clearly what Charlie's life is in the interim. Yeah. In that, and he even and talks about it, the the time off that their, the band took when the brother had a baby, and the, and the band, drive shaft and, hasn't performed in I, a year. And I will say, as the... As the seasons go on, uh, these interim flashbacks are, you could argue that they're less impactful than the initial character setup ones. Adding more context doesn't necessarily add more emotional weight. Well, I think that's... It depends on the flashback, of course. I think that's also a reason why after three seasons they switched it up. Uh, um, because they're like after a while, there's not much more. There aren't yeah, as because many once gaps you, that they can fill in. Once you start getting an episode all about the meaning of Jack's tattoos, <laughs> which is probably the worst episode of the series, you, you're you're stretching. Yeah, and there's only so much you can work with with those initial flashback frameworks, and and this is one of those reasons where I feel like this is a flashback that's way less impactful than the one all about his brother and why it feels a little superfluous in comparison. But that being said, as you said, it does exist for the purpose of this ending. So Charlie is doing drugs with his buddy Tommy, (laughs) and they need to score more drugs. But what do you need for more drugs? You need money. Money. And who has money? Lucy. Tommy, apparently he goes out and finds lonely women who have, have... Stuff. Yeah, who have... Money and come from rich families, and he gets Charlie to go flirt with Lucy, and Lucy is rich, and Lucy isn't necessarily looks wise the girl that Charlie would have been sleeping with when the band was on tour. Yeah, kind I mean of thing. he's, he's used not to like sleeping the groupies. with groupies. Yeah, and Lucy is. You know, she's... She's normal. Yeah, she's, I was going to say she's, she's normal. She's not a supermodel, but there's nothing wrong with that. She's normal, and I lo- I think she looks fine. I think she looks very pretty, and you could actually, you know, you definitely see why Charlie but, starts to fall for her, but and she's she, genuine. Yes, and that's the thing. I totally get why Charlie falls for her, but I also get that she's just normal enough that once a... 
she's rock not a star. Yeah. yeah. Once a rock star starts paying attention to her, that she'd be into it. Also, where do these freaking drug addicts get off insulting her about her looks? F you guys is what exactly. I say. Who little, are you to judge? Although, to be fair, Charlie legitimately yeah. develops feelings for her. Of Charlie course. does this whole thing. And he, the idea is we need to get money out of this woman. And early on, we see a flask, a very is, ornate oh flask. Oh my gosh. This is, Char- I, um, I can't believe I'm only just now realizing it. This is Charlie trying to pull a Sawyer, but being yes. so bad at it. Oh my it. God, yes. Oh my God. Because he's not, yeah, he's not cold he's not, enough to do it. He's, he's not, not calculating enough to do it. Yeah. Um, and there's the there's this flask that was owned by Winston Churchill that her father owns, and Charlie makes a little note of this. Um, He's just taken inventory in his, his drug-addled mind. Ugh, so Charlie. Charlie's been, I don't know how long they're dating at this point. The timeline's weird. Yeah. That, like, how long has he been with her to pull this scam to get this money that now... He's meeting her father. Like, it, it feels like they went on two dates. And, and then his, she's like... her father offered him a job. Her, well, uh, let me tell you what. I mean, I've dated women for five, six months who've never met a family <laughs> member of mine. It's two I dates. I dated a guy for a year, and he never met my family. <laughs> okay. Oh, and your family's more local than mine. They're two and a half hours away, so okay, it, it okay. would have been a li- I was justifiably, say, it's a little bit more of a drive. My excuse is they're all on Long Island, <laughs> but still. Definitely a lot closer than Long Island. Um, um, but, the, but the point is, uh, very quickly he becomes into her and into the whole family. And well, I think he likes the father, too. They, the father, they, like, they have a little back and forth about playing music, and the father... The father isn't what you would expect. He's this rich guy, but he's not this, like, hoity-toity guy. He's... He was in a band. He was in a band, and you get the sense that he kind of respects the fact Charlie was in a band. And he was in a band that toured and had big albums and a hit song. Like, it's... That's the power of the passion of music, man. You know, a, a lesser thing would have made him some snob who wouldn't... But it, he's he's into it. And he offers Charlie a job selling copiers. Which is boring, but respectable work. And Charlie takes a job, to, and Tommy's, Tommy's apoplectic ticked. about it. Yeah. He's like, he's like, oh, no, you gotta do this thing. Regular income? What? But this is where uh. Tommy's got one on Charlie. Mm-hmm. Charlie needs a fix. And Charlie's can't be going through withdrawal when he starts this job. But Tommy's got this over his head and he's like, oh, you better you better like steal that Winston Churchill flask and get us a bunch of money. Just because Tommy's right doesn't mean he's right. <laughs> yeah, because but Tommy Tommy's like, Tommy oh gonna deny him like a like a hit. Yeah. And Charlie's going to be a mess. And then when we see Charlie, he's sweaty that morning. He's going through withdrawal. But he's hiding it enough that he could excuse, like, first day jitters. Although, by the way, I've been nervous for a lot of first days of work or back in day school or something like that. I was never sweating like this. Nobody sweats like that. I, I will say, like, he should have used the excuse that Jack used for him on the island of he, like, should have been like, I'm so sorry, I have the flu. Like... 
anything her... would have been better than what actually And then, by. like, laid low for a week and hoped that he, like, went through enough that's, of withdrawal. I don't know how much withdrawal is. It's like, yeah, I don't know how long actual withdrawal takes, but, like, or, or actually getting clean takes. Like, I imagine it takes a long time. Uh, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on that. But, like, yeah, maybe he should have gone gone clean beforehand. But as we find out, he wasn't... Even though he got so far as to take the job, he might not have necessarily been planning on, like, going through the the actual sales pitch. Because, as we see, he steals the flask and then isn't expecting her to give but him I, a ride. But here's the thing. It, yeah, he wouldn't have shown up. Uh, if she didn't give him the ride. But, I'm willing to say if he wasn't going through withdrawal, he wouldn't have stolen the flask. No. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a secular thing. It's, it, it's... I mean, that's, that, that's the nature of being addicted, uh, of addiction, yeah. And he goes to work, and he's given this pitch, and it's a mess. And he's yeah. sweating, and he's screwing up, and he vomits all over the copier. No. To the point where apparently EMTs had to come in. And... It's a weird scene, actually, because the it's the music is very comedic. It's played for comedy, but it's not funny. It's like do 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 do. That's yeah. not the music. Choice, but it's but like, like it's it's not like yakety sax. But it's like it's oh Charlie. Yeah, it's, it's sort of... like oh, look at this guy, this bumbling heroin addict. <laughs> Jesus. Um, oh, but man. I mean, like that, we're seeing a scene from Requiem for a Dream, and they're playing it off for kicks and giggles. I mean, that's the thing. The uh. only thing, and I, here's what I'm willing to bet, and I don't know anything about the production of this episode, but uh, without that funny music, that is really heavy. It is. And I want, because it is out of Requiem for a Dream without that funny music. It's somebody just fucking up because they're a junkie. And I wonder if the thought process of putting this music was this is a network television show and, and, and I, 15 I, years ago almost that they're like, eh, we got to cut this a little bit. We have to, and we have an actor who's good with some comedy and let's play it that I, way. I wonder whose decision this was. If this was a producer decision. Uh, Kevin Hooks. Director <laughs> well, Kevin Hooks. Not necessarily. I know, it I might know. not have been Kevin's decision. It might have been David's. It might have been a completely different producer. It might have been a network executive that has nothing to do with the actual creativity of the show. And this is still early enough. This is 15 episodes into the series that the network's probably still up their ass a little bit more. Yeah. Um, Where they're a little bit more like, mm, I don't this know, is but, still season one, we still but, have our fingers in the pie. I also bet about 14 years ago when this aired, that probably didn't uh, rub me as much the wrong way as it rubs me now. I mean, yeah, for, for me, I don't remember being upset at this episode because of the flashback sequence. I remember being upset with the way that this episode was advertised. Um, and, you know, the actual payoff of that sort of misleading advertising. So, uh, to make a long story short, Charlie shows up at Lucy's house to apologize, and we find out that he had passed out, the EMTs came, they found the flask on him, they returned it back to the house... Uh, Lucy obviously mortified 
uh, and she says, why did you take the job? And Charlie... Yeah, because she's like, obviously you only dated me to, like, steal from us. You know, this, this thing that now smells like you're sick. Uh, but yeah, why take the job? And, and we know that Charlie did had come to care for Lucy. I mean, you know, it's funny. In the economy of those scenes, we do really get that sense. That dinner table scene, Dominic Monaghan is actually doing a great bit of acting there. It's it's subtle, and we understand that he's actually feeling it, genuine it things there. It goes from him trying to, like, over the course of the two scenes before the whole withdrawal bit, like, where, where they're on a date, and then he's at dinner with her dad... Um, like, over the course of those two scenes, you see him go from being flirtatious for the purposes of manipulating her to being genuine and honest yes. about who he is and what he's feeling right now. It's a great bit of business. Yeah. Um, and Charlie says... Uh, he basically says, I wanted to be able to take care of you. I want to show I could take care of you. Charlie wants to take care of somebody. Charlie wants to... He wants to give, like, kind of the love he has and take care of somebody. Which brings us to the final scene of the episode back on the island where Claire says <laughs> that she remembers peanut butter. She remembers the peanut butter. And... She has this thing with Charlie where she's like, I want to, I want to trust you. Like, I want to. Yeah. And she wants to put that faith in Charlie. And Charlie wants someone to have that faith in him because he wants to take care of somebody. Which, do, do we ever see, uh, sorry, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't remember. Do we ever see her actually reading her journal in this episode? We know Charlie gives it back to her. Does, like, she ever read it? No, we never see her. I don't, okay. I don't recall her, I don't recall seeing her read it, but the implication but, that he's given... Now, you know what? I think she might flip through it, but we don't see, like, a moment where she's, like, got her Where she's got her, it. like, nose in it. Um, but it is possible that she's actually taken time to look through all the things she wrote. And one of the things she wrote, as, you know, as we know from the episode where he violated her trust, uh, <laughs> was that, like, I really like Charlie. He makes me feel safe. And so, like, even... If, assuming she's read that... Like, even though he withheld important information from her, like, she's willing to forgive him because of what she does remember and because of, like, even though it was wrong to keep that from her, she knows he had the best intentions in mind. Yes. Um, so that's the episode. So, let me ask you this. Mm hmm What's your, uh... What's your light? What's your Jacob for this episode? Oh, man. There's there's a lot of good bits in this episode. It's sort of hard to, to pick a favorite. Um, probably going to have to go with the acting. Like, Dominic's performance in the flashback sequences is really phenomenal. Um, Daniel Day Kim's performance, as we, we pointed out, yeah. always brilliant. Um Okay, from a not because but but it feels like kind of a cop out to say the acting because you can say that in any episode. There there are so many episodes where I'm like, oh, the acting is phenomenal. Um, I'm gonna go with Island Cooperation. Ah, it's, shit, you stole mine. <laughs> it's so good to see them yeah. all cooperating. Yeah, it is good, and it feels good to see them them uh, doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. That that really worked for me. Uh, 
in a way that probably worked better for me on a rewatch. Yeah. Knowing sure. how divided some of these people will become. But it does fit into the live together, die alone mentality. For sure. Um, yeah, that was going to be mine. I guess I don't have to find something else. Uh, I, I was going to say, I haven't... I mean, I think I think that is the shining thing about this episode. Um, you could always pick, you know, when they re-reconcile, you know, the chemistry between Claire and Charlie. That's always a highlight. Yeah, I'll pick that then. <laughs> uh, the dark thing... Not to thing. feed you answers or anything like that, but... <laughs> the dark thing, I did find that Charlie copier scene odd... 14 years later. Like, I felt the music choice. I felt like... I felt like it shouldn't have been played completely for laughs. And that did strike me as very odd. And I also think that they wouldn't make that choice today. That they might... It might start off a little humorous. I think if they... And then I, have a dark turn. Yes, yeah. I think that's the way they would play it today. That scene stuck out to me like a sore thumb. It did seem very tonally dissonant upon a rewatch. Again, I, I don't know how I felt about it 14 years ago. Um, maybe I was completely fine with it. I, I don't remember. Um, for me, my man in black for this episode, I'm going to go with two things, if that's all right. Um, <laughs> I'm going to retroactively put the ABC promo team on blast and say that the way this episode was initially pitched to me, and I would, I would say even within the context of the episode itself, it is very contrived to kill off a non-entity and pretend like that has any emotional weight. Um, but it only... They only pretend it has emotional weight because that promo that you remember from that. Which is why I'm putting the ABC promo teams from 14 years ago on blast right now. Fair well. enough. Fair enough. <laughs> so, if we have any listeners out there and you happen to be on the ABC promos team 14 years ago and you placed the promos for this episode or you were a part of the creative team that decided to push this you were all complicit yeah. <laughs> and i say this as somebody who places promos and on right television. now they're listening single tier yeah single tier um the other thing for me is going to be the thing i touched on at the very beginning of the episode i feel like claire having amnesia along with ethan getting killed and you take that in context with charlie not remembering anything either all of this together it's very contrived that it's, at the end of the day we have no information about the others. It's it's convenient to keep us in the dark about the others. It that's really, that's the only reason it exists. It really is, especially when the only thing in the audience's mind right now that comes with the others is Ethan, super strength, and potential whispers, um, potential and ghostly whispers. And it's it's funny because I could just imagine that in the writer's room they're like and we gotta have her kidnapped yeah they have to be kidnapped and then they've written themselves into a corner of well how do we hold off all this information when she knows stuff with others and then somebody shit yeah and then somebody goes amnesia and they're like great that's the intern who's got the coffee coming in you know the, the, the thing I loved about Breaking Bad and what I love now about Better Call Saul it's uh, and what I've always heard about those writer's rooms is they would write themselves into these corners and they would always find a brilliant way out. They never knew how they were going to get... They always... Not every show can do that. Amnesia was the case for this series. But I think it's a minor thing in the grand scheme of in, the show. In the grand scheme of things, I'm just saying in the context of this oh, episode, yeah, 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 it's a yeah, huge yeah. contrivance. No, it's, it, it's, it, 
Uh, I do want to get on my soapbox just real quick oh, and say right. that even though I put the promos team on blast just a moment ago, like, don't hold that against... I, I don't hold that against anybody. Like, I get it. You're just doing your jobs. It's fine. You've got to find anything you can to promote the show. I do want to say that is potentially damaging to the thing you're ultimately trying to promote, though. Um, this this season for... They, uh, go ahead. Go oh, ahead. no. But they got to... I mean, the promo's job is to get butts in the seat. Exactly. So they're not... Then You know, I... But you ultimately have to think whether the thing you're doing is ultimately detrimental to the brand you're trying to promote. Um, because even if you... It's not necessarily like, oh, no news is good news, or like, you know, there's no such thing as bad publicity. Because there is. Um... And I don't know. Look they, at the president. <laughs> ha! Fair enough. But I, I'm talking about specifically something that's near and dear to my heart right now, which is Voltron, which ha just dropped season seven a couple weeks ago. And in the wake of season seven being dropped, there was a huge fan backlash because they had been very much pushing, um, in terms of the promotional side of things, that um, the lead character, you know, basically the leader of the team, actually, it turns out that he's gay, which is great. People were super pumped about that, and Netflix really leaned into that promotional side of things. And then later in the season, like about halfway through the season, um, the, the series falls into the tropes of bury your gays. Now, he's fine, he didn't die, um, but they killed off another canonically gay character, and the backlash from the fan community was so uproariously bad, they started harassing the showrunners, the actors, because they felt like they had been lied to, and that a lot of people who were promised representation were robbed of that. And so I don't hold anything against the writers, the showrunners, the cast and crew. They're all wonderful people who work really, really hard to put on an excellent show, and they didn't mean to hurt anybody with this. The, the, the fact that bury your gaze is a negative trope is definitely a bad thing, but, like, man, if that, did, if that whole backlash didn't make me step back and go, maybe I shouldn't be so hard on Lost as, uh, yeah, we, right? as, we, as we go back through this retrospective. Eek. So, like, the only thing I want to say is if you, if you vehemently disagree with somebody about the quality of a show, just be kind, guys. You can agree to disagree. <laughs> like, I feel like that's a, what we're trying to do here is, like, have a good discussion, and sometimes it gets, you well, know, loud, to, but... To be fair, we haven't gotten into the real controversial episodes True, true story. <laughs> Season well, one, we're too nice to each other. But I will say, well, it's always nice, uh, you know, uh, as loud as I can get, or as much nonsense I can yell about this show, it's always nice having a civil discussion with you about the pros and cons of a network TV program, and I just wanted to say thank you. A call for peace. Yes! From Megan. <laughs> We're living in a post-The Last Jedi world. I feel like maybe more polarization isn't necessarily what we need. Let's come together. Uh, especially because there shouldn't be polarization about The Last Jedi because it is awesome. Yes, it is! The one thing we will agree on <laughs> for this series, Will, The Last Jedi is great. Um... So, Megan, why don't you tell the people where they can find you? Uh, first of all, thank you for letting me go off on my little soapbox Of course. There. It's um, your show. <laughs> but you guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Mangun. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. And you can follow me on Twitter at The Real Will Link. And you can follow us on Twitter at No Love Lost Pod.
Um, so yeah, that is it for Claire's homecoming. <laughs> I don't know about you, I kind of want some peanut butter. Mm. Mm. Is it real peanut butter or magic? Because I got lots of imaginary peanut I, butter. I want real peanut butter in the context of it being inside of like a chocolate wrapping thing. I would like <laughs> a real peanut butter in terms of it being inside a candy shell a la Reese's Pieces. I want some Reese's Pieces. Reese's Pieces would be great right now. But while we go get those Reese's Pieces, in the meantime, we'll see you in another life, brother. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to No Love Lost on the podcast Jukebox Network. Yeah, we really appreciate you guys listening. And if you guys liked the show that we put on, you might like some of the other shows put on by this lovely network. Um, Off the Cuffs, which is a kink and BDSM podcast, which is very popular. Um, Being There, Will Sean podcast. Will he? Uh, he does. <laughs> uh, you would know. Drinks with God and proud to be kinky. Yeah, so we want to give a big thank you to this network for, for supporting us, for giving us a platform to talk about Lost On. So, guys, it would really mean a lot if you would show uh, these other podcasts some love. Yeah, go back, give them a listen. If you like us, you might like them. We're on the same network. Only makes sense. Go listen to them. Give them all five stars. Do that. And then also give us five stars. Yeah, we could use it. 